Well, if you're anything like me, when you get in a situation like this, you might say something like, I hope I'm doing this right. Or you might say, is this the right way to do this? Or you might even say, I thought I was doing it right, but uh, it just doesn't seem to be working. Well, all those things are really good to say because what that means is that you care about something. You don't want something to break. You don't want anybody to get injured. You don't want anybody to get blown up. But it also says that you have a little bit of a thing with assurance. You're not really sure that it's working right. And that makes sense. Um, and in my lifetime, I'm not used to having immediate understanding of how to do something like YouTube or Google. Uh, I had to do uh, a process of trial and error, and I happen to get more error than trial. But a lot of times, we don't understand how to do something, and we, we just need to have that immediate assurance. And today, we have a text that gives us that immediate assurance. It's like a recipe, and there's three ingredients to this recipe that will help us. And it will help us answer the question, am I doing this right? And the ingredients are testing, tactics, and treatment. And it's really interesting that those three questions hit the three groups of people that I primarily want to address today. And that is new Christians, people that have been Christians for a while, and non-believers. You know how it is when you're a new Christian, you're all excited about salvation, you're still pumped up, you're all fired up. You know, you go out to dinner with them and you go, hey, can you pass me the salt? And they give you the salt shaker. Jesus is the salt of the world. <laughs> yes, yeah, he is. Yep, yeah, he is. And uh, they get excited to tell everybody about the gospel. And then they start telling their friends and their family. And then all of a sudden you get some kind of combativeness and maybe you get some defensiveness. And then you get the doubt shall not be judgmental thrown in your face. And then you might get some heartbreak. I, I don't want to be your friend anymore. We don't have anything in common. You know, just don't talk to me anymore. And you might ask yourself, man, I hope I was doing that right. Maybe you're a longtime Christian. You've been a Christian for a while. You've been going through the sanctification process. And maybe you're tired. Maybe you're, you're wondering, am I doing this right? I, I keep sinning. I keep having these problems. The, the world has so much pain and sorrow. Am I doing this right? Is this the right way to do this? And then for the non-believer, <clears throat> um, you see everything that you got to do. You know the difference between uh, a moral and a value, and you, and you obey the speed limit, maybe not in Latin, but you, you, know, you try. And, uh, but it's just not working. It's just not getting you there. And, and, and the question is, I thought this was the right way to do this. Well, the text that we have today is applicable to us immediately to help us fight this. Give us this assurance. And it comes from all people, Moses. Now you might say, Moses, what does he have to do with today? <clears throat> well, Moses came up with this recipe because he was in a similar situation that we find ourselves. That the people, the children of Israel, were fixing to go into the promised land. And they knew it was coming soon. The generation that rebelled against God, they were dying off. And the generation that survived God's wrath, they were getting stronger, more mature, and they were getting ready to go over there. Now, I don't really know if they were standing around all the old first generation waiting for them to kick off before they, they went over there, but they knew it was coming soon. And Moses knew it was coming soon. Um, he was getting older. He was getting closer to death. But it didn't matter in Moses' case because 
Moses disobeyed God, and one of his punishments was that he could not lead the people into the promised land. So now he has this young generation all fired up to go, and he has to send them into the promised land. Are they doing it right? How do they know that they're doing it right? Is this the right way to do this? So he gave them, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this recipe to help them know that you can test, you have a tactic, and you have a treatment. And we can use this today because like the children of Israel, they were going into a land that they were going to have to do combat. Now, they were going to have a lot of great victories. Sometimes they weren't going to have victories. But in combat, there's death. And you might question yourself, why are we doing this? Also, they're going into this land that has all kinds of false religions, wickedness, all kinds of horrible temptations and false gods. And Moses had to send them over there without immediately being able to give them the assurance that they're doing it right. We're in the same situation. We are in a spiritual warfare right now. If you don't think that we're in a spiritual warfare right now, you don't live in Realville. It is in your face. And there are so many incredible temptations that are out there just bombarding you. You need to make sure that you're doing it right. So today, we're going to look at this recipe that Moses has given the children of Israel that we can use right now to help us answer that question, are we doing it right? And uh, before we get into the passage, I'd ask that you would pray with me, uh, and then I'll read the passage, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come and bring your word. Um, I thank you for the applicability of your word. I thank you for Moses for being faithful to write this so that we have this availability to us. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. I pray, Lord, that you would help my thoughts be clear and that your name would be glorified in all things. So I keep calling this a recipe. And the reason that I call that a recipe is because we're going to start in Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. The text that I'm going to use for the sermon is uh, 13, 1 through 5. But I'll read it, and then I'll explain what's going on. So if you would stand with me, if you're able to honor the reading of God's word, we're going to start in Deuteronomy 12, verses 32. Moses says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do it. You shall not add to it or take from it. If a prophet or dreamer or dream arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and that sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge evil from your midst. You may be seated. Thank you. So the reason that I call it a recipe is simple enough. When I hear verse 32, it sounds like my mom teaching my siblings how to cook. Just follow the recipe. She was adamant on doing that. And I can tell you, sometimes they didn't, and you could tell. But <clears throat> I've also seen and witnessed Cindy in our kitchen doing her magic when she bakes or cooks. 
and she's very particular about following the recipe. She'll put some kind of measuring thing and some kind of ingredient. She'll take a knife and she'll go off the top of the spoon to make sure it's a perfect amount and she puts it in there. And I also know that the ingredients are critical for her to get the recipe right because she sent me to Country Mart to get chocolate. Now to me, chocolate is chocolate, all right? But nope, on the recipe it calls for that kind of chocolate. So here you are standing in front of 500 variants of chocolate and she sends me a text with a message as this one. This is the one I need. Because if you don't use this one, it's not going to taste right. And anybody that has been able to partake of Cindy's cooking knows it's really good. It's really good. And if you don't get the recipe right, it can be really bad. Like if you swap baking powder and baking soda, bad, 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 bad. So Moses is telling them, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do it. You shall not add to it or take from it. Don't mess with the recipe. This is how to do it. So follow the recipe. So let's look at the recipe and see what he has to say. And we're going to look at the three ingredients, Devo, for points uh, of our sermon today. The first one is testing. So when I was in the Air Force, one of my jobs was flight test. And uh, I thought that we developed flight test. I thought we were the cock-a-doodle-doos of flight test. Lo and behold, Moses here gives us the protocol of flight test. Now granted, he wasn't testing supersonic aircraft, I get that, but the protocol that he developed here is exactly what we follow today. So what is it? Well, you start with a known, you start with a truth, and then you have test conditions, then you exercise the test, you get data, you take that data and you compare it to the truth, and you find out if you passed or not. Pretty simple. So how does that work with aviation? Well, in our atmosphere, aircraft are affected by four things. Lift, weight, thrust, and drag. Pretty simple. So that's your basic truth. Then you have a test protocol, or a, uh, you have test conditions. And those test conditions might be airspeed, altitude, what's your weight. These have to be exact. You might even have a control room where engineers are watching monitors to make sure that you're in tolerance. Because if you mess this up, the rest of it's gonna be wrong. So you have to be on test conditions. Once you are, you can pull the trigger and exercise the test. When you do that, you immediately get data. You take that data and you go back over here and you compare it to thrust, weight, lift, and drag and you find out if you did it right or wrong. Brilliant, it works like a dream. So Moses gives this test protocol to the children of Israel to help them understand, you wanna know you're doing it right? Exercise this test, pretty brilliant. So we have to start out with a known. We have to start out with a truth. So you might ask today, well, where do you find truth? Where do you, where do you find truth? Come on, man. So a lot of people go to the government. Well, there's two main reasons I would tell you to be very cautious about that. Uh, bureaucracy and politicians. So you can laugh if you want. But politicians, there's a few of them, maybe, some, seldom, that might be good, all right? but for the most part, I would be very cautious. I could give you acronyms to help you know that the government isn't where you find truth, like FBI, CIA, DOJ, uh, FDA, CDC. I could give you those things, but I don't want this to be a political statement. So let me just give you two examples of how I believe you shouldn't think that the government is trustworthy as far as the owner of truth. President Biden wants to get reelected. 
in the 2024 election. And part of his campaign is he wants to have health care for women. I like healthy women. I like to make sure that women are healthy. I'm good with that. The problem is, is that part of his uh, package deal is that he wants abortion to be available to women, unfettered, from the moment that the mom conceives all the way up until just before uh, delivery of the baby. So let me just kind of help you understand where I'm coming from. When a person is conceived, at that point, they are covered by the sanctity of life. They are a human being. They are real. They are a person, okay? And so uh, they're going to carry that with them all the way until uh, eternity, right? So if you interrupt their pregnancy anytime from conception to the moment of birth, you are killing a person. That is called murder. That is not health care. President Biden is making a bold-faced lie to you as the President of the United States. That's not good. Even if you take it to their demented logic and you say it's a female baby, right, and you kill it, that's not health and it's not care. So that's not where you're going to find truth. But President Biden's not alone. Congress just recently made a law that said Respect for Marriage Act. Now you might think, Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You leave your mother and father, you cling to your wife, the two become one, and you live happily ever after. No, that's not what happened. The, the government in Congress said that the, the, the Respect for Marriage Act is actually a disrespect for marriage act. You can marry anything, anyhow, anyway. There's, there's just no, it's false. Just because you redefine something and then you name it something that sounds trustworthy, it's a lie. It's a lie. So we can't find truth in the government. So maybe the media. Ah, we'll go to the media. They, they talk about truth. Russia, 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 right? That's all we heard from when President uh, Trump was a candidate and in his presidency. Russia, 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 Russia. And then the Mueller report comes out and he says, oh, that was a fake. That was a lie. Hmm, okay. Well, that didn't work. What, what about the 2020 riots where you had the reporter uh, talking about the riots and there's a building on fire behind them and all these things were broken and looting and all this stuff was going on? He goes, well, they're mostly peaceful protest. It, it's called, you know, they, they take the truth and they warp it and they change it and they, they want you to see what they want you to hear. They want you, or excuse me, they want you to see what they want you to see and they want you to hear what they don't want you to hear. It's called propaganda. It's a lie. And if you think Facebook or social media is any better, if you, during the Wuhan virus, said any truth, whether you agree with masks or not or whatever, if you said any truth, you would be put into Facebook jail. Can't depend on the media. What about ourself for truth? Who's going to lie to themselves, right? So you're walking around your neighborhood, and you see Stan standing out in his lawn. And you're like, it looks a little odd, strange. And so, uh, Stan, how you doing? Dave, I've never felt more alive in all my life. Well, that, that's great, Stan, but you look kind of weird. You're standing in your yard, and you got a sprinkler watering your feet. Yes, last night, I realized that I've had it. I've lived my life as a lie, and, and I'm tired of it. And, and I'm going to fix how I was made, and I now identify as an oak tree. And my preferred pronouns are tree or bark. Dude, you're a human. You're standing in the yard. 
That's your perception of reality. My perception of reality is that I'm an oak tree. And who in their right mind puts an oak tree in their living room? We can't depend on ourselves. Where are we going to find truth? Well, Moses knows. He spent hours and hours and hours conversing with God. He knows that God is truth. And God didn't leave it just to Moses. He gave us his word. He gave us his Bible. So finally, in this test profile, we understand where truth is. It lies with God. Okay, that's great. So the next thing that we have is test conditions. Now we have to be on test conditions or else this test isn't going to work. And you can see it for yourself in 13, 1 and 2. He says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dream arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, stop there. That is the test conditions. So just like a pilot in the Air Force has to make sure that they understand those test conditions and are on them perfectly, let's just kind of take apart these test conditions to make sure we understand them right. So Moses starts off with an if. That if is not hypothetical. That's not saying a polka-dotted pink elephant falls out of the sky and hits your living room, it's going to be ugly. It's not that if. That if is a probability of reality. That sounds tricky. Let me explain. So you go to a sporting event or you go to some kind of thing with your family and everybody had a blast but now it's time to go home and everybody's a little tired, a little grumpy, a little fidgety, a little whatever. And you're in your minivan and you're driving down and all of a sudden in the back seat you hear, he touched me. She's breathing on me. They ate the last cookie. And then there's this big old kerfuffle that happens, right? And then you hear from the front seat, if you don't stop that right now, I'm going to pull over and spank everybody in the car. That is a probability of reality. It's going to happen. Moses knows the people of Israel. He knows that when they were wandering around the wilderness, not everybody said, oh, what a nice walk today. He knows that they were sitting there going, you know, I have a better way of doing this. We've been wandering around here forever. I'm tired of getting thorns in my sandals. This is ridiculous. So he knows when he leaves, there's going to be a vacuum. God has already established a new leader. Moses knows that. But even so, there's going to be a vacuum. And someone is going to want to come in and take that spot. So they need to be prepared. The next condition is, he says that they're a prophet or a dreamer of dreams. Moses knows this. He's a prophet. He understands what that is. And dreamer of dreams, everybody knows what that is. How did they get in this how did they get here in the first place? Pharaoh had a dream, right? They understand how God uses a prophet and dream of dreams to help the people hear instructions that they wouldn't normally hear. They understand that this is a powerful, powerful person. So this person wants to come in and take charge. So what does he say? He arises among you. This isn't some traveling salesman that comes in to bamboozle them out of uh, their money for snake oil. This, this is a guy that they trust. They understand this guy. They have relations with his family and their family. They work together. Maybe, I don't know, they, they, they went through the wilderness together. It's not an unknown person. It's a trusted agent. So this guy comes up from among them. And then he says, I'm gonna, and he gives you a sign or a wonder. All right, so we're on the test conditions on how to do this. So we're still in the test conditions, and he gives you a sign or wonder. Who better than Moses at this point in time to understand signs and wonders? I mean, he's a herdsman, right? 
He's seen a lightning strike. He knows what a burning bush looks like. You got fire, you got smoke, you got heat. It starts going up, the, the leaves start crinkling up, and then you have a smoldering pile of ash. Everybody knows that. So he sees a fire, uh, burning bush going on, and he's like, that's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's a sign. It's a wonder. So he goes over to it. And it, that is very odd. And as he gets closer to it, he hears a voice. This is holy ground. Take off your sandal. It's a sign. It's a wonder. Moses understands what's going on here. You kind of have to get a two-by-four up against the head to understand, hey, I'm a prophet. I'm a dreamer of dreams. I have a message for you. So God understands the people of Israel. He understands us. He under Moses definitely understands the people of Israel. And he knows if I go to the people and say, I'm a prophet, I'm a dreamer of dreams, I have this big, big plan for you guys. We're going to leave Egypt and we're going to go to the promised land. They're not going to believe them. It's just not going to happen. So God gives Moses signs and wonders to give credence to his authority. So what did he give them? Right? He says, okay, Moses, I want you, this is all Dave vernacular, by the way, I want you to take your staff and put it on the ground. And he did. What did it do? It turned into a snake. Now, if I was in this story, that would be the end of it. I would have run away from the snake, and God would have said, wow, we made him fast. But anyway, Moses was faithful to obey God's word, and he picked it up by its tail, and it turned into a staff. That is a sign. That's a wonder. Not everybody can do that. Um, and Moses is like, well, I know, but... So he gave him another one. You put your hand in your cloak, you pull it out, and it's covered with uh, um, a disease, right? Leprosy. And it's terrible. And the people can relate to this. So then he puts it back in his cloak, and it comes out, and it's clean. They would totally understand that. So Moses understands the importance of having... Uh, telling someone that you're a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, that you have to have a sign or a wonder. So this person, this prophet, comes up and says that. What I'm going to say to you, I know I'm talking fast, but I do that. So listen quick. What I'm saying to you is we're still in test conditions. Please listen to what I'm saying to you. Because if you get this wrong, you are going to get so messed up. And Moses says... And he tells you, and, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Do you see that? It says right there. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. You're still in the test conditions. You know what? He said that we were going to float a foot off the earth today. And we did. He must be the guy. I, I could care less. You're still in test conditions. You haven't exercised the test yet. Don't get bamboozled by this. Moses understands this. He went into Pharaoh. He took his staff, his good old staff, and he put it on the ground. And what did it do? It turned into a snake. And Pharaoh was like, wow, that's pretty cool, Moses. Hey, you magicians, do the same thing. And they did. Did Moses go running out of there like, uh, you know, no, he had total confidence in God's sovereignty. He knew nothing that man did would thwart God's will. He understood the environment that he was in. He knew it was spiritual warfare, and he stayed by the stuff. And what happened? His snake ate their snakes, and then it turned back into a staff. Understand, just because some yahoo says something and it happens, that's not the test. The test is we're on conditions. We have truth. We have to test conditions. Now we're going to exercise the test. And if he says, 
Let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. That's the test. Now, when you do a test, you immediately get data. It's, it's an immediate flow. So the test is, and he says, what did he say? He said, go after other gods. You're not done. You have to take that data and compare it to the known. Well, we've already established that God is truth. His word is true. So you go to God's word. Exodus 20. Just take a listen to this and see what God says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's, it's in God's word. Now you're done. You've done the test protocol. You have the known. You have the test conditions. You exercise the test. You take the data. You compare that to the known, and it's a fail. Don't listen to this guy. Pretty simple. I think this is brilliant. Moses gave the people this this recipe, this, this ingredient to help them take this test everywhere. You're, you're throwing your, your children into a fire? Let me go back to God's word and look at the sanctity of life. You're worshiping other gods? That's not right. This is a great and awesome tool. But a lot of times in tests, you get a secondary test result that you weren't expecting. And Oftentimes, that secondary test result is more important than the first. Um, the the uh, Air Force figured that out with the X-15 rocket plane. Uh, they want to have this rocket plane be able to do these very specific maneuvers. And to do that, it had to have a rocket motor that could be throttled, which was brand new at this time. So they put the X-15 on the test stand. They filled it up with fuel. They put the pilot in the cockpit, and they lit the motor and he's exercising the throttle. And as he's doing that, a valve stuck. Valve stuck, a tank overpressurized, boom, this thing exploded, right? So the test result, if you exercise the throttle and the valve sticks, tank overpressurizes, it's gonna explode. <laughs> Glad I wasn't on that plane. But the secondary test result, it, they didn't even expect it. The pilot, Scott Crossfield, was in the cockpit and he was perfectly safe. He didn't even have an injury. He was right next to the explosion. It was a hardened cockpit and it kept him safe. It's like, wow, that is great. That's a secondary test result. Moses has a secondary test result here. See, the people are all fired up. They're all ready to go. We're going to the promised land. We got this. We're all ready. They're pumped up. And then all of a sudden, it's like they stumble out of the chute and they have this false prophet guy come up. It's like, Moses, why would God allow that to happen? I don't understand. And in verse 3, the second part, it tells you, For the Lord your God is testing you 
to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. It's a relationship. God doesn't just want you to follow the rules. He wants to know how you love him. He's already demonstrated his love for them. He took them out of Egypt. He freed them from slavery. He rescued them from the Red Sea. He took them into the promised land, or he's going to. He's already demonstrated his love for them. How do they reciprocate that? Jesus has proven his love for us. He came down from glory to the low place of earth. He was born a virgin. He's all man and all God. He lived on this earth without ever sinning. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. He took the wrath of God that I deserve. Jesus has already proven his love for us. He rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven where he makes intercession for us right now. Jesus has already proven his love for us. God has proven his love for us. How do we love God? Now, I would venture to say that if I asked every Christian, especially in this room, do you love God with all your heart and all your soul, including myself? I would say, yes, yes, I do. Easy enough. And then if I said, well, what does that look like? How do you know you're doing it right? How do you know that you're loving God right? Aha, our second ingredient. Moses gives six tactics to help us understand how to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. Because we might give them all kinds of different answers. But Moses helps the children of Israel, he helps us with this recipe know how to love God with all your heart and all of your soul. So the first thing that we saw was testing. And now we're moving into tactics. A tactic is something that you practice, it's a skill set that you've honed, and you employ this at a very, very strategic point to get to your goal. You might use it in sports, you might use it in business, and obviously you use it in the military. So Moses is giving us these tactics that we can practice and hone to help us know if we're loving God with all of our heart and our soul. And it's in verse 4, and you'll see it. There's six of them. You shall walk after the Lord your God. Now, who better than Moses to understand following rightly? He's been following this pillar of cloud. He's been following this pillar of fire. He understands how to follow God. He followed God's instructions. He went to the Pharaoh and he did all of the plagues. He went to the people and he got them prepared for the Passover. He understands how to follow God and he has. He also understands how to follow wrongly. Uh, the people complained, they whined, they were belly aching. He understands that. Are we following God rightly? Are we thankful that we have a God that takes time to lead us? If you talk to some of the older people, um, you know, we have the ministry over in the retirement home, and you talk to some of those people, they can give you a lifetime of how God's providence was over their lives. And they're thankful for that. God never left us to our own. He was leading us the whole time. How do we follow God? Are we thankful for where God takes us? I work at Altus, and it's hilarious to me that the people that are getting trained at Altus on this brand new airplane, right? And they're like, Altus, ugh, that's the armpit of the world. And I'm like, you think that Altus is the armpit of the world? Just you wait. <laughs> you know, you got something to learn. But do we complain where God has us? Or when God stops leading us somewhere, do we make camp and do we bloom where he plants us? Do, do we look at that as a mission field? Are we thankful? Are we appreciative? 
Do we have confidence in God? Or do we go to our spiritual smartwatch and say, you know, God, I got an app here, a spiritual app, and it says that we can do this a lot faster, and it would save me a couple pages off a reading. So why don't we just, how do we follow God? And then it says, and fear him. That's a simple phrase, and fear him. Jay's been going through this whole process in his sermon, and he's addressed fearing God rightly a lot. And it's an awe and a respect. But I have a feeling that Moses is saying something here a little bit different than just awe and respect. It's, I can't prove this. I just expect it. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, you feel free to tell me. But I believe that Moses was well aware of the firstborn of Egypt. I think that he knew some of those people. And I think when the uh, Passover came and the angel of death went through there, and if you didn't have the blood on your mantle, the way God told Moses to tell the people, if you didn't do that, that firstborn's dead. Can you just imagine the horror, the heartache, and just the awful, awfulness of all those firstborn dying on the same night? Talk about post-traumatic stress. To see the wrath of God in action had to have been fearful. What about when they went to the Red Sea and the, and the uh, uh, Egyptians were catching up to them and the water swallowed them up? Gone. Gone. You, you don't see something like that and like, wow, you want to go fishing? You, you just don't blow it off. It's powerful stuff. What about when the people of Israel complained and whined and God sent serpents into their village and they were dying and he told Moses, put a bronze serpent on this stick, raise it up and whoever looks at it will be saved. He saw his own people being killed by the wrath of God. So what I'm saying here is when Moses talks about the uh, fear of God, he's understanding that God is someone that you need to fear. But yet at the same time, he had this relationship with God. He spoke with God. He conversed with God. He had such a relationship with God. Not only did he meet with God on the mountaintop, but then in the New Testament, he was with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. That's an incredible relationship. How is that possible that you can have that, that fear of God and that awe of God? How do you put those two together? Well, I put it together like a campfire. Uh, we like to go camping. A campfire is a camper's TV, right? You start the campfire, it has the crackly noises, it has the smoke, it has the light, it has memories, it's warm, it's a good thing. But I also know people who have had their homes destroyed by fire, and maybe they've physically been uh, messed up by fire. They respect the power of fire. That's how these folks need to fear him. That's how I need to fear him. Do I really fear God when I am tempted? Do I weigh this out? Fear God. And then it says, and keep his commandments. So the third tactic that we have is to keep his commandments. He only gave us 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Only 10. Now, granted, if you're a little kid and you turn 10, that's a huge milestone in your life. I get that. But in the whole realm of, man, of, 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 of creation, there's only 10 commandments. If we would follow those 10 commandments, learning how to love God and love our fellow man, wow. Just think about all the countries if they would just start with the 10 commandments. 
America is the land of laws, and we are messed up, right? He's just asking us to keep his commandments. They know them. They watched Moses bring them down. They understand what they are, how to love him. What do the commandments do for you? I will tell you what they did for me. When I was a non-Christian, they were a wet blanket. I hated the Ten Commandments. It was a bunch of no, 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 no. No fun, no nothing. Once I'm a Christian, I have a new heart. I love the Ten Commandments. It helps me understand how to love God, how to love one another. I'm not in the dark. And if I'm messing up, it shows me where to fix it. And keep his commandments. He gave them to him for a reason. Keep them. And then he says, and obey his voice. Well, that's a good one. Because a lot of people, I, I, I'm going to mess this up. I know I'm going to mess it. But if you want to know what God says, you read his word. If you want to hear what God says, read it out loud, right? <laughs> so if we had a Bible that had the Ten Commandments, it would look something like you have the front page, and then you have like who was married to whom, and who was born when, and all that kind of stuff that's in the front. And then you have a concordance, or a, excuse me, you have a table of contents, and it says Ten Commandments, page one. And you open it, there's the Ten Commandments, and then you would have all the concordance and the definitions and the glossary, and don't forget the maps. You have the maps in the back. And it would be the size of a pamphlet. It, 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 it wouldn't help us at all. What do we have? We have God's Word. We have wisdom. We have understanding. We have how to obey God's commandments in his word. He explains it to us. In Numbers 22, there's a story that I, I just really enjoy. Um, there's a man of God who wants to go from point A to point B. And uh, God doesn't want him to go. God told him, don't go. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to go anyway. And so he saddles up his little donkey, and he's going down the trail. The donkey sees an angel of God in front of him holding a fiery sword. Well, the donkey's not stupid, so she turns left, and she goes through the orchard. The guy gets all mad. He's, he gets her back on track. He's like, what's wrong with you? And they start going down the road again. Well, as they go down the road, here's the angel of God with a fiery sword again. Angel can't go, or the donkey can't go left, so she squishes his leg against the wall. He's like, ow, what are you doing? Ah, oh, gee whiz, come on now. And he gets all frustrated more. Finally, they're on this path. They're going down. She can't go to the right or left. She doesn't have anything to stop them. She sees the angel of God with the fiery sword. What does she do? The only thing that she can do, she sits down. This guy starts beating on her and whipping her and just treating her horribly. And God opened her mouth. And she could speak. What gets me about this story is the guy was so upset, he had no idea he was having an intelligent conversation with a donkey. <laughs> it's like, and she wasn't even Jewish, and she's speaking Hebrew. It's like, come on, I don't understand that. But she's talking to him, it's like, why are you mistreating me like this? I've done everything for you my whole lifetime. What is your problem? And he goes, I want to go from point A to point B, and you are stalling me. You, you are delaying me. And then God opened his eyes and he saw the angel of death with the fiery sword. And what did the angel say? I was going to kill you and let her live. Do we look as we read God's word and, and, and hear his voice and obey him to thank him for those providential delays that are in our lives? Do, are you thankful for those um, uh, sanctifying units that autonomously run around in your house called children when you're fixing to do something that might be questionable and they come in, hey, what you doing? Ah, blast. No, you can be thankful for this. 
You can be thankful for those delays when you're trying to do something and you're trying so desperately to make it God's will and you know it's not and God is gracious to you and say, look, this is what I want you to do. Are we reading God's word to know how to employ the Ten Commandments? I'm not that smart. Believe me, I'm not that smart. I need to have wisdom shown to me and understanding. The next one that he says is that you shall serve him. Now that's a very special word to me in my mind because of my history. I would join the Air Force. And when I joined the Air Force, I had a deal with Uncle Sam. I'll do whatever you want and you pay for me to go to college. A good deal. Well, once I got to the point beyond return, I found out Uncle Sam's attitude about serving was a little different than mine. And I found out that my life was expendable. How about that, you know? And Uncle Sam says, well, I want you to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, and your job is to give your life for your country, and I don't know when it's gonna be required of you, but whether it's your life or freedom, it's your life. Wow, wow, I was not expecting that. Now, you might think that's noble and heroic or whatever you might think, but Uncle Sam also had me serve by cleaning toilets and mowing yards and mopping the chow hall. He had me do whatever he wanted. I was in his service. How do we serve God? How do we serve our Savior? How do we serve the one who rescued us? Now, of course, we can serve each other. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by telling you that. You've heard that your whole life. Uh, you can work in this church. This church is a great example of how to serve because you try to do one thing and you have to do seven. So this is a great way to you know, learn how to do that. But how do you serve him? How do you serve him as a citizen? Do you vote? Uh, they're all worthless. I'm not, going to put, I'm not going to take my vote and, and, and put it into that mix. And it doesn't matter anyway if it's a fraud election. Do you vote? Do you stand for God in all of your responsibilities? Do you serve him with all that you are? Do you bring glory and honor to him? Do you do everything to his service? Wow, that one got me. How do we serve him? And the last one that he gives us, so we had follow him, we had serve him, we had obey the commandments, obey his voice, serve him, and now we have hold fast to him. Philip introduced the song to us uh, several years ago. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. I love that song. And whenever we sing it, I just get goosebumps. Christ will hold you fast. I praise God for that. That is not what Moses said. Moses didn't say that. Moses said, hold fast to him. You know, you've seen a guy is walking across the living room and a little kid grabs hold of their leg and he's trying to walk and everybody's giggling and all that kind of stuff. What is that kid doing? They're holding fast to dad's leg. They can't go out and grab something else or else they'll fall off dad's leg. All of their attention, all of their effort, all of their world is holding fast to God. You can look at, uh, in, in kings, you can look at stories of kings that did bad in God's eyes. But then you can look at kings that did good in God's eyes. And they were almost like the only one. And what does it say? They held fast to God. How can you go wrong if you're holding fast to God? 
If I am going through life and I'm holding fast to God, how can I reach over to my smartphone and get distracted into sin if I'm holding on to God? I can't do it. I'm going to not hold fast to God. I'm going to let go of God and I'm going to go over here. Your attention, your effort, your desire, everything that you want, you hold fast to him. Again, an Air Force example. When I was in the Air Force, they gave us training and survival training. And they had this thing called a forest penetrator. It's this goofy seat that comes down from a helicopter. And it goes through the forest. And you sit on this thing as a teeny little wire. And it'll pull you back up to the helicopter. You think for yourself, oh, that's great. I've been saved. And then you think how you're being saved. And you're like, yikes. And you hold fast to this thing. Because if you let go, you're going to fall off of it. God is our Savior. We need to hold fast to him. You know, when Jesus came back, Martha was like, or Mary was like, I, she wouldn't let go of him. How hard do we hold on to Jesus? How hard do we hold on to him and say, thank you. I'm a hugger. I love hugging people. And when you go up to someone and you hug them and you hug them, that's, that's a good hug. Are we holding fast to God? Are we holding fast to Christ? Are we holding fast to his word? Are we holding fast to each other? Hold fast to him. Wow. You guys tired yet? All right. So we have two ingredients. We got one to go. The first ingredient was testing. Is it biblical? Do you love God? The next one was a tactic. And it, we went through these six tactics to help us understand how to love God with all your heart and all of your soul. And I think that you can see if you follow those tactics, that'll help you understand, am I doing this right? Am I doing it right? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow these six things. But then we have a tactic. And this tactic is another way to help us know if we're doing it right. And it's verse 5. But that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death. Wow. You talk about powerful. Why? Why? Maybe they just were mistaken. Maybe they just misspoke. Maybe they just misinterpreted God's word. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. So I know that in my generation, uh, and yes, I saw it live when it first came out in 73, Star Wars, right? And we believe, yeah, are you part of the rebellion? Ooh, you've heard of the rebellion? Oh, and we've, we're rooting for the bad guy, or the good guy for the bad guy. We're, we're hoping that the rebellious guys will overthrow the evil empire, all right? That's Hollywood. That's a story made up in some guy's brain. It's his imagination. This is God's word. He doesn't like rebellion. What was this guy doing? He was trying to be God. He was trying to take the place of God. He was trying to, to sway the people of God. That's, that's not some kind of penny ante, whoops. It's capital punishment because he's teaching how to rebel. And who is he rebelling against? The Lord your God. Well, who is that? Oh, that is who brought you out of the land of Egypt, A. B, redeemed you out of the house of slavery, C, made you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. That is your Savior. Why would you rebel against your Savior? Listen to me. What you're hearing today is a guy who has been admonished by this passage ever since I read it. I'm talking to myself 
more than I'm talking to you. Why, why would I rebel against God for this penny ante sin when I can cling to my Savior? So he's saying to you, I haven't changed. Why did you teach rebellion? Not only did you rebel, but you're showing the next generation how to rebel against me. Wow. You talk about convicting. But we can't go around killing all the people that rebel against God. That's something that we can't do in our day and age. So Moses, through the inspiration of God's word, gave us something on that last sentence to help us understand. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Are you purging evil from your midst? That verse, that sentence has haunted me righteously. Am I purging evil from my midst? Well, you know, I'm a little bit older and I've lived this life a little bit, so I'm kind of used to this kind of thing. So we'll go ahead and let that happen and we'll just ignore it. Are you purging evil from your midst? Um, my mom passed away from a disease where her lungs shut down. And they had to make sure that she had 100% pressurized air oxygen in her lungs, or she would have died even sooner. It, it, would, be like, it would be like if I just didn't care about putting that pure air in her lungs and just let her die. Um, for the young people, this might be a little heavy. So for the kids, let me explain it to you in Devo. Uh, Miss Mabel, our dog, has a propensity of getting sprayed by skunks. Okay? Skunks stink. All right? And Miss Mabel is very proud of being sprayed by a skunk, so she'll come into our house, and then she'll rub that skunk stink all over everything. And you have to purge that stunk, skunk skink, stink out of your house. I don't like stunk, uh, skunk stink. I don't like it. I can't even say it because I don't like it. And so you want to purge it out of your house. I don't want to have anything remind me of it. We don't want to have any evil in our midst. What are we doing? This is an active item. This isn't passive. Are you making sure that there's no evil in your midst? So you have a friend, and they're a transvestite, and they say, you know... Um, I, uh, I corrected creation, I am the creation, uh, and I corrected the creator, and this is how it's going to be, and these are my preferred pronouns, and this is what you will call me. Are you purging evil from your midst? I love you, I have compassion for you, I want to give you the gospel, I want to help you understand the truth of God's word, but I will not further evil by calling you something in rebellion against God. Don't do it. I understand you want to go to nursing school and you got knocked up by this guy. I understand that you have a whole life ahead of you. I, you know, it's just a cell. It's just a little thing. Go ahead and get an abortion. Don't do it. Please purge evil from your midst. So today we saw this recipe, this incredible recipe that Moses gave us to help us to know if we're doing it right. 
And I started with a Christian, brand new Christian. Man, I hope I'm doing this right. It hurts. I've been friends with this guy for all my life, and he, he, don't, he doesn't want to see me anymore. Did I, did, I, did I do it right? Yes, you did. What does light and dark have in common? Nothing. Stay by the stuff. Give the gospel. Give glory to God. We're at combat. That's why we need to have a church, to encourage one another, because it's real. What about the person that's been a Christian for a long time? Oh, my goodness. And you get tired, and you get weary. I want this sermon to be an encouragement to you, help you know that you're doing it right. And Moses gave us this recipe, and you get discouraged. Philippians 1.6, you know it. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Stay by the stuff. you got generations that are counting on you. Hold fast to God. Even if you're old and, and you're in some kind of position of authority, Daniel held fast to God. And he didn't even know how it was going to end up. For the person who is not a Christian, um, you wonder if you're doing it right. No, you're not. I am telling you that because I didn't do it right for many years. You might have more money than me. You probably have a bigger house than me. You might have more toys than me. You have more responsibility than me. I get it. I get it. But what I don't want is for you to think that you're doing it right, go in front of the judgment seat of God, and God kicks you out into hell, and you're screaming, why didn't anybody tell me I was doing it wrong? You're not doing it right. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. All you got to do is repent and believe. That's how you start to do it right. We've seen this recipe through testing, tactics, and treatment to help us understand and be encouraged. Are we doing it right? How are you doing it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that even though I am a simple man in regards of being able to communicate, being able to convey thoughts, and being able to be faithful to your word, I pray that you would work a miracle and that your name would be glorified through this incredible passage that Moses gave us through your inspiration to help us and encourage us on our daily walk. And I pray for anybody that's here who is wondering if they're doing it right, that they would turn to us and let, them help, let us help them understand what the right way is to repent and believe in your name. It's in your name I pray. Amen.